to the United Nations Career Journey Podcast, where we interview colleagues working for the United Nations all around the world. Our conversation explores their fascinating career paths, what career satisfactions mean to them, and how they keep learning and developing on the job. My name is Tatiana Homchik, and today our conversation is with Linnea van Wagenet, a seasoned professional with a remarkable UN career. Welcome to the UN Career Journey podcast, Linnea. Thank you very much for joining us, and it's a pleasure to have you as a guest speaker today. Thank you so much for having me. Dear Linnea, let me quickly introduce you. Linnea has held significant positions, including Special Assistant to the SG Envoy, Special Assistant to the Resident Coordinator in Sierra Leone, working with South-South Cooperation in New York, and communications at the UN city Copenhagen. Her extensive experience has covered diverse area of work of the United Nations Development Program. What makes Linnea particularly interesting to our audience today is her transition after leaving the UN. Linnea now holds new position of Head of Strategic Sustainable Development in the city of Usedal, Sweden. She has held this role for over three years, and it's fascinating to see how her UN experience has been applied to a local sustainable development initiative in Sweden. Linnea, we are honored to have someone of your caliber and experience in our podcast today. But let's start from the beginning. What inspired you to pursue a career at the United Nations, and how did your journey begin? I was one of those kids growing up wanting to work for the UN before I knew what the UN was. was very eager. I studied uh, sustainable development and you study political science and you study anthropology. And I kept thinking, how can I use this to work for the UN? But I never really thought I was going to be able to thought that it's a very hard business to get into, so to speak. And then we ended up living in Copenhagen, my husband and I, and I applied for a job as an intern working for UNDP. I was at that point, I had worked for four or five years as a journalist. I worked for Swedish Public Radio. So for me to go back to become an unpaid intern, my parents thought I was crazy, but I got the internship. And from then on, I, I think I proved myself. I think I, um, was able to show what I could do working in the UN city in Copenhagen. And I became a consultant and uh, ended up staying in UN city for four years. I changed offices a little bit, but I stayed mainly doing communications and coordination for four years. Linnea, can you share more about your role in communications in UN city Copenhagen? What was it like? We actually moved from our old offices, you know, UN City, for those of you who don't know, there are a lot of different UN agencies working together in this one shared space. But that shared space didn't exist when I started. So when we moved into this new building, my job was to help with communications, not only for UNDP, but for the shared UN City experience. We ended up starting, and I say we, it was me and my boss, Eva, we started the Public Diplomacy and Communications Unit at UN City. That meant we were trying to coordinate the communications work of all the different UN agencies in UN City. I know at this point, the Public Diplomacy and Communications Unit is still there, still doing work. My the time we started giving tours, we started doing lectures about the UN in Copenhagen. And that's really where I got my start. I was also doing, for my first two years, a lot of UNDP-centered communications to and from the Nordic region. So I worked for the Nordic Regional Office in Copenhagen. 
Dene, in your introduction and mentioning that you work in Sierra Leone, so I would like to ask you how your work experience there was different from your previous roles. I really enjoyed the coordination part of my communications job in UN City. I got this little taste of what it would be like to work on coordinating a lot of different UN agencies, but in the field. So when the position of special assistant to the resident coordinator opened up in Sierra Leone, I applied for that knowing that I could bring some things with me, working with understanding the needs and uh, what the different UN agencies had in, in terms of both being able to provide to a common goal, but also also what their individual, their hierarchies, who they're reporting to, and how to try to create more impact together. I had that a little bit, at least, from UN City, and I really wanted to add to that. So I got the position as special assistant, and at that point, I decided to move there. It was a family duty station, and they had only recently come out of the Ebola crisis. So I moved there with my one-year-old and my husband, and uh, we thought that Ebola was done done. Turns out Ebola was not done done. So we ended up doing some coordination work on the Ebola response as well, which was, I got to see the, the back end of that, which was fascinating. And we stayed there for two years until I worked on a big landslide, which took place in Sierra Leone, where we lost a lot of lives and where there became a, you know, very emergency response focused effort. And I worked with the resident coordinator on the UN country team where we met every week to discuss issues. But I also did some of the long-term like UNDAF planning, we were going to do the first national development frameworks based on the SDGs. And nobody quite knew how to do it. So we received a lot of support from New York and we, we went to workshops and we tried to figure out how do we build this new sustainable development framework with the SDGs at its core. So I worked both on, you know, short-term emergency responses. I ran the, the common communications group in Freetown in Sierra Leone with representatives from all the different UN agencies, but then also the more long-term strategic stuff. So Working in a, a smaller duty station like Freetown, you get a chance to help and work and kind of explore both the things you're good at, but also add to your tool belt the things you're not so good at when you come in. Thank you so much, Linnea, for sharing. Could you tell us more about self-self cooperation? One of the things I noticed and thought a lot about when I was in Sierra Leone was how important sharing experiences from the global south were in this national context where we were. And I saw many concrete examples where we would sometimes bring experts from countries that are very dissimilar to Sierra Leone. And there would be a lot of work just catching people up to what's the national kind of framework and how does it work? Whereas when we turned to the global south, when there was South-South cooperation, when you were sharing experiences and thoughts with either academia or governments, civil society from other global south, but uh, I guess when we when they first started doing South South cooperation, it was more developing countries, right? And I use that in quotation marks. The countries of the global South have a shortcut in how they're able to communicate and share knowledge. And the global North, which I represented, sometimes the best thing we can do is stay out of the way. And sometimes the best thing we can do is fund these types of corporations and exchanges. So from Sierra Leone, I was given the opportunity to come work for the UN Office for South-South Cooperation, which is uh, under UNDP in New York, and to work for their director and envoy. I was very excited because I had seen in the field the need for this type of, of work to be done. 
Thank you, Lena. I have another question for you. Has there been a moment in your career where you felt your work had a significant impact? One moment which I think about a lot, and I actually also wrote in a blog post about this and shared some pictures to go with it. We woke up one morning and it was during the rainy season in Sierra Leone. I went into work and we got this call that there were some floods. We didn't know how bad it was. And the resident coordinator told me, will you please just take a car, go and see what it is? So I got in the car. And when we are a couple of hundred yards away, my, my driver stops and he says, you know, I can't get any further because there are too many cars and there's this mist, this fog. We can barely see a yard or two ahead of the car. It was real bad. I got out on my own. I just walked a couple of hundred yards and we get to what looks to be a just a crater in the ground. Later, we realize that this is a 100 to 150 yard meters wide landslide that's gone down the entirety of the mountain in Freetown. And hundreds of lives were lost. A great tragedy. But when we come there, we can't even see it. It's too much fog. We just see people and people and screaming. And I get a phone call within the first hour or so. It's uh, UNCDF. The capital development fund and they say is there anything we can do to help their country rep and i say i know this is weird i said but could you try to see if we can talk to the mobile network providers because we're losing coverage there's so many people up here we can't even use our phones so she starts using her contacts she starts calling fao calls me their rep says you know should we activate Copernicus? I say, what is Copernicus? And she says, no, it's something that the RC can activate. And basically we're asking scientists all over the world to start looking at Sierra Leone to see if they can get satellite imagery of this place. And then they can send it to the scientists in Europe and they can start looking and comparing today's map with yesterday's map or a map that was taken two weeks ago to see how many people have been affected by this landslide. And I said, yes. So I activated. We get a phone call from a local drone uh, company and they say, how can we come help? I said, okay, bring your drones. We need everybody. These local Sierra Leonean drone company, they have three or four drones. And the first one just crashes straight in, but the other two are able to go up and down the mountain. And later that day, or if it was the day after, FAO calls us back and they say, okay, we now, we activated it. A Nigerian based science, we're able to talk to an American satellite into taking the pictures. We can tell you now by a rooftop analysis exactly how many households were lost. We can tell you where we think there might be more structural damage. But you know, the scientists working for the EU would like to look into these areas more carefully because they think there might be a risk of a second landslide. We already had the drone, the local Sierra Leonean drone company that do surveillance of buildings. And they said, we'll fly the drones. We'll give the scientists what they need. And I know this is a very brief retelling of a lot of work being done. But when I look back at it, I think of this story with this collaboration between uh, all the different UN agencies, with the EU, with the Americans, with the Nigerians, with the local companies. And I think to myself, oh, wow, I so lucky to be in that place and witness that kind of collaboration. When things like that happen and you can see the power in that institution and the power in collaboration with partners, I think about that moment a lot. That's an incredible story, Linnea. Thank you so much for sharing. My next question is about your transition from the UN system and your current role. Are the sustainable development goals still at the heart of your work? 
Yeah, very much so. That's what I do. And that's why I took this job. As you can hear, I did the, I worked with regional uh, cooperation with, with donor countries in Copenhagen. I worked in the field doing country programming in Sierra Leone. And then in New York, I had a more international perspective. But the other thing that struck me, especially when I was working with South South is why do we call it development when it's done in the global South? And we just call it a Monday when it's being done in, in Europe. I was interested in seeing, okay, How can I actually localize the SDGs and work on rural development in my own home country? It's still development work. It's not any different than the development work I was doing before, just because it happens to take place in the global north. That doesn't mean that it's not development work. And I also wanted to see if I would be able to to localize the SDGs in a concrete manner where we could build local development plans based on it. So I moved back as head of strategic and sustainable development. I got the pleasure of working in a small town, 20,000 people. And I got to sit in front of people who do street cleaning or park development or recreation or schools. And I got to present the SDGs. And I got to ask them the question, okay, what does this mean for you in your everyday work? And what targets can you set for us to reach the SDGs? And the end result ended up being that we, the municipality of Yuska, where I work, we have a government development plan. It's not just the development. All of our results-based management is based on the SDG. We have no goals besides the SDGs. That's all we do. All our work in some way is supposed to contribute to an SDG. Everything from our elderly homes to our, to our environmental work to our exploitation, like our, our plans for building in this area. Everything is supposed to contribute to an SDG. Lene, that's so interesting how you switch your experience from global to local. I'm sure a lot of people couldn't understand it. When I told my coworkers that I was giving up my, my blue passport and I was going to rural Sweden, I there were more than one person who asked me if I was crazy. You know, for me, life is about different chapters. I think this idea of a linear career is a little old-fashioned. There were things I wanted to learn to bring with me to the next step of my journey. I don't know where that will be. If that will be the UN, if it will be national, or if it will be global in some other way. I knew that I wanted to manage more people. So I manage 15 people now. In about a week from now, I'm, I'm getting a bit of a promotion. I'll be managing nine managers. So I'm going to have a lot of people under me. And I knew that getting that kind of management experience would take me a long time in the UN. For good reason, we have our, our system set up and I understand that. It's about looking, what, what do I have in my uh, toolbox? Do I need to add some tools? These were two tools I didn't have. So interesting. And do you have any advice for those who are interested in starting their career journey with the United Nations? I get this question so much, Tatiana that I um, actually sat down one day and I started writing down all the steps because when people approach me and they ask me for help, I just have as a personal rule, I never say no. I always say, yes, how can I help you? Because I was incredibly lucky to get into the UN system without knowing anybody. I had a, a great mentor, Michael Toft was the person who hired me in Copenhagen. I owe him my entire career because he's the one who really sat down and, and took care of me when I first came into the system. Of course, I've had many good bosses, but 
to have somebody who says, you know, I, I can give you a few pointers to me was invaluable at that point. And so I make it a point to do the same whenever somebody asks. I sat down and actually wrote a list. Uh, I think I wrote it on LinkedIn, like a couple of articles. Yeah, that's what it was on LinkedIn, where I just said, these are the steps you need to take. These are the different kinds of jobs you can apply for. Here are some common questions. So I actually have a like unofficial, the Linnea guide to entering the UN, which is on LinkedIn, if you guys are interested in seeing it. But I also say, uh, reach out to people. The worst thing that can happen is that you get a no. And best case scenario, somebody's on the other end of that question that appreciates and understands the value of bringing new talent into the organizations. If I had to summarize it into one thing, it would be don't be afraid to ask. Thank you so much, Linnea, for this interview, your stories, your advices. It was a pleasure to have you as a guest speaker today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. And I think that what you're doing is so valuable. Talking about our career in the UN and the different ways forward is it's so helpful. So thank you.